0: Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. MCC is a non denominational country style church just a short 20 minute drive from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Although we're often considered a cowboy church, we're actually a community of diverse people from many different backgrounds who have a common commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. I'm Pastor John. I want to welcome you to the Millerville Community Church. We're so glad you're here today to celebrate this Easter Sunday. And uh, how many have been at an Easter service before? One or two of you. I've preached a couple myself. In fact. Too many to count, I think. I've been celebrating Easter's for a long time. But Easter goes a lot further back than you and I. It's been going on for thousands of years. There is a tradition in the church that has been going on since the very beginning, a phrase that you've already heard. It is, uh, the minister says, he is risen. Then you respond with, he is risen indeed. Let's do it one more time. He is risen. He is risen Beautiful. There you go. I thought Jack was going to give away my sermon today and he was a spoiler, but I've discovered that that phrase that we just did, which we've been doing for thousands of years, is all wrong. Did you know that? It's bad English, for one thing. It's just, my mother was a school teacher and she taught the Queen's English and uh, I remember growing up in grade school being kept home more than once in the summer Well, she beat into me the rules of grammar. And uh, I developed a resistance to grammar for that very reason because I wanted to be outside. But boy, she didn't want to be embarrassed by me. But one of the rules is, is uh, tense. And correctly, this uh, phrase, he is risen, should be he is rising or he was risen, but not he is Risen. That's all wrong. Even mom would tell you that, and she's in heaven. It's it's a difficult phrase, and the modern English doesn't recognize it anymore. It's actually what we call archaic. We used to talk this way in a present perfect construction. It's uh, not correct with current English anymore. It belongs to the old King James Bible. Any of you still read the old King James Bible? My grandpa used to sit me down and tell me that uh, the King James Bible is the only Bible, the only legitimate Bible, with all the these and those. But he had taught himself to read English from the King James Bible. He was an illiterate drunk from England who was working as a lumberjack in Michigan when a little holiness church got a hold of him and brought him to the Lord. He didn't know how to read. They handed him a King James Bible, which today is considered college-level English. Did you know that? And he taught himself to read from that book. And so he was totally committed to the King James Bible. But now we think it's archaic, this language about mixing tense, we hardly ever do it anymore. We've got expresses like, I am come, it is ended, they are departed, she is gone. That sounds all wrong to our modern ears. And about the only phrase we ever use anymore is, she is gone. The rest of this, he is risen business, have disappeared. And even in your Bibles, they're beginning not to use what we call the present perfect tense. The issue here is our understanding. Your language is important, and what we say this morning shapes how you understand something. And our language is shrinking. Have you noticed that? It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I remember going to school with dictionaries this big, and they just kept shrinking in size, which is easier to transport. Now they fit on your phone, right? But our, our ability to express and under ideas is getting smaller and smaller. The reason that we have this is-risen kind of expression is because our Bible is based on a translation from another language, which is the Greek And the Greek uh, understood a reality that we in the West, uh, here in Canada, and so on, are beginning to forget. We think uh, things have happened, are happening, or will happen, and we use those three tenses. But the Greeks had a fourth tense there's more than just something that happened, more than something that is happening right now, and something more than than something that's about to happen. What they had was the perfect tense, which is it has happened. It is still happening right now, and it will continue to happen. We're in the midst of flow of something much bigger than time itself. We're on the edge of what is eternal, ongoing, never-ending. And when that happens, they use what we call the perfect tense. There is a reality, believe it or not, bigger than what your eyes can see right now. You're looking up at here and thinking, man, that guy's good looking and I really like him. He's very interesting. You're feeling the chairs and you're thinking about your ham that is going to burn in your oven if I don't finish on time. And all these realities. You're you're thinking, oh, I wish I had got more sleep last night. And these are all the temporal things that uh, the words that has happened, is happening, or will happen. These are the temporal things that come and go in your life. And there are a lot of things that are temporal. You can't hang on to things. They come and they go. I once was young. No, I'm not. Things come and go. They're temporal. But Paul says there is more in this world, and many people have understood that, it called the internal things. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says that they exist. Our English is being reduced to the temporal, to the right now temporary things, and we're ignoring in our language the internal causing us to be blind to eternal things that are with us right now Jesus reveals this in Matthew 22 if you have your Bibles you can look that up in Matthew 22 he's in a discussion with some people who are religious and they don't believe in the resurrection they just people just stop and uh, they are asking Jesus is there a resurrection and that's a really important question to Jesus because he's all about the resurrection and resurrection Sunday that's coming. And he wanted us to understand that there is a resurrection. And in Matthew 22:31 31 to 32, he answers their question, is there a resurrection? And he says, now about the resurrection of the dead, he says, Have you not read, this past tense, what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He says that he's literally saying, I am the God of Isaac, Jacob, and Abraham. These guys are not dead, they are alive. So there is a resurrection. There is life beyond the grave for those that are faithful to the Lord. But that one expression is remarkable in there. As he says, Have you not read? You got your Bibles open and you're reading it. What God said to you. These guys weren't alive when that was written. When the Gospels were written and the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was put down, you weren't alive. But they're written there in the Bible and you're reading it. And Jesus says, God has said to you. He's speaking it to you now. This mixing of tense is that what God did in the past didn't just stay in the past. He's still doing it. He's still speaking it, and he will keep on doing it. The word of God is eternal, and it is with us right now. Have you noticed the subtlety of what he is doing here? He's saying, I was, and God is not dead, that he is the God of the living. He is bringing about this idea that there is life greater than what you can see with your eyes right now. When we say he is risen, he is risen indeed. We keep the resurrection present in this moment in our understanding so it can be present in our experience. Today is a very special day. Today is a life-changing day. Today is a resurrection day. Not just celebrating a resurrection, but experiencing one today. This is the day we've been waiting for because we need new life. And now it has come. Today you will encounter Jesus Christ, if you haven't already. And all of you are going to come to believe something about Jesus Christ. But you're not all going to believe the same thing. In fact, your belief in Jesus Christ in the next few moments while I'm speaking and sharing from the Word of God may change. And go through an evolution in your experience. And that's the way it is when we see or receive a revelation of the eternal that's with us right now. It's like waking up, and the scriptures describe it: wake up, old sleeper. Danny, if you wake up this morning, you're still sleeping out there. Still sleeping? When you wake up and you open one eye and then you open another eye and then you open them at the same time, you slowly become aware of the world, right? You smell the air for the coffee. Why hasn't anyone made coffee yet? You listen for the shower to see if it's available. You slowly come alive. You start rolling out of the bed and you realize I'm mortal. Oh my back hurts. I've been sleeping too long. And you sort become aware of everything that you were not aware of before when you were in a dream state. And this is what it's like when you move from the temporal to the eternal. You're asleep in the temporal, the things that come and go and don't last, the flower that grows and fades. But the eternal is reality. What you see around you isn't as real as the eternal that never passes away. What you have now comes and it goes. I won't always be as good looking as I am right now. You laugh. (laughs) It's true. You won't always uh, be as smart and as clever as you are right now. Things that you're hanging on to will slip through your fingers. Do you realize that? This is the temporal world that you fight to hang on to. But there is an eternal that is much more real much more tangible, and it will outlast everything you've been focusing on when you're asleep to the eternal things. We will come to believe many things in the next few moments, but not all our belief is equal. Not all belief saves us from the ravages of a sinful world, a sinful soul, or the judgment to come. So I want to go into this experience with you and pull back the curtain a bit to move from the temporal to the eternal, as we look at the Gospel of John chapter 20, if you want to turn to that. And God is speaking, and not just has spoken, but will speak to us through this passage of the Gospel of John chapter 20. And we're going to look at the story of the resurrection as we experience through a famous lady by the name of Mary Magdalene. And we're going to pick it up at verse 1. And if you listen carefully, you pay attention to what we hear, you too might hear and see something more than you thought you would see. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Jesus, uh, Mary Magdalene believed several things in this very moment at the beginning of the st- story. She's dark, she's on the way to the tomb, and she sees the stone rolled away. On the way there, because she had seen the passion Week, the death, and the crucifixion, she helped, wrapped that body in a burial cloth and helped lay it in the tomb. She believed Jesus was dead. He was dead. And it broke her heart to know that. She also believed that something horrible had happened. She had gone to the tomb early, and most scholars agree when she says in this passage that. Uh, Something has taken place, and and she uses the word we so that she's not alone. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, might have been with her and others. And what the ladies were doing were often that the death was going to go clean the body. So the body had been ravaged. There wasn't a lot of time. They wrapped it up in cloth, and uh, that cloth was probably soaked, and they were coming Now that it had bled out, to wash it off and put some spices on it so that it helped preserve the body and for the smell of it. But it was also an important way of saying goodbye. It was that intimate moment where you say to someone who has passed on, and to grieve, and it is so important to do that. She wanted to express her thanks. Because Mary Magdalene had experienced a life-changing moment. She had been possessed by seven demons. That were dominating and controlling her life, and Jesus had cast them out and given her a new life. She she had watched and listened to his ministry, saw him die on the cross. This life-changing good man that had changed everything in her life now was gone. And she wanted to honor the good that he had done in his in her life, in the lives of many others. In all that horror, you couldn't imagine anything worse than seeing that good man die on that cross, be whipped and mocked, and all the things he said about him which he knew were not true. What would be worse is if you couldn't say goodbye, if the body was gone, if someone had stolen it. It was like the last injustice done to Jesus Christ And when she saw the stone rolled away from the tomb, she didn't look in or anything. She just jumped to the conclusion, this is bad, this is horrible. The body is probably gone and probably stolen. And so she is devastated. Life has horrible stuff in it. Terrible things happen. We've heard already this morning about people who have died because of bombings we know that people are giving their lives good people for the gospel of Jesus Christ even today. Maybe you believe that there could be a God out there. Maybe there is. And that he might even care about you. But he is good as dead to you because others have proven your faith weak or wrong intellectually. They have beaten you down where you have lost hope. and You just think he's distant and he might as well be not here. Mary Magdalene believed in those early dark hours of that morning that it was over, that all the good had lost and evil had won. She ran back to those who still cared and called on them to make it right and to find that missing body of Jesus Christ. That's where we pick it up at John 20, at verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples went forth, And they were going to the tomb. The two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Now what you need to understand, this is the gospel of John. John's writing this gospel. We began this sermon series, So That You Might Believe, written by John. Because at the end of his gospel, he says, I've written this gospel so that you might believe. That's why it's written, that God might speak to you today through his word so you might believe. And this whole series has been about that. i encourage you to go back and to listen to the podcasts on it. In this story, he's writing this. John's writing this. And he doesn't like to refer to himself as I. So he calls himself the other disciple. And occasionally he shows his bias because he says, the one whom Jesus loved best. That's him. That's, he's bragging. I was closest to Jesus. He loved me best. But he thought he was humble enough because he didn't mention his name. So he, the other disciple, and Peter are running and going to the tomb first. And he makes a note. And I won the race. I got there first. Peter's slow. I got there first. So John arrives at the tomb first. He looks into the tomb. And stooping, he looks into the tomb. And he saw linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Verse 6. And so Simon Peter also came, huffing and puffing, following him, and entered the tomb. He went in, where John didn't. And when he went in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there. The face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up and placed by itself. So the other disciples who came first to the tomb, then also, that's John, entered. And he saw the linen, he saw the empty tomb, and he believed. For as yet, he did not understand the scriptures. He's referring to himself, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own home. Peter and John arrive at the tomb, and they believe something. This is what they believe. They believe that the body is missing, just the way Mary said. But they don't believe it was stolen. John walks into the room, and he says, He's gone. There's the linens. I believe he's gone. But he doesn't believe that Jesus is resurrected yet. He says, literally, he says, And he saw and he believed, yet he did not understand. He's referring to himself, what the scriptures, what God was trying to tell them through the word of God. And is still trying to tell us today. Here the leaders of the disciples, Peter who was in charge and John who was loved the best, didn't get it. They looked around and they showed up, like, you ever watch those crime shows on TV? You know, the CSI guys? Anyone do that? When, when my family was growing up, my uh, daughter, who became a nurse, she was fascinated with CSI and dead bodies and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the criminal investigation and uh, dusting for clues and everything else. And basically, Peter and John, showing up at the grave of Jesus, are doing that. They're examining the evidence. Mary didn't even go in. Don't even look. She says, it's stolen. It's stolen. He says, well, let's look at the evidence. So Peter and John are come along because they're brought as men to fix it. And that's what we do, man, right? We fix things. We make it right. So if it is stolen, we got to find out who stole it. And then we got to go get that body back from the person who stole it. But let's look at the evidence. Maybe we can get some clues. And they are fascinated by the linen and where it is and how it's rolled up. And they come to a great conclusion. And their conclusion is this. It wasn't stolen. Thieves don't steal bodies this way. Have you ever uh, lifted a child who's asleep? And their arms and everything are everywhere. It's really awkward, right? Have you done that? My little girl used to fake falling asleep in the car so that we could carry her from the car to the house. And I could always tell by the smirk on her face <laughs> that she wasn't actually asleep. But the other way I could tell it is her her body was more rigid. She would hold it in her arms and legs. I have picked up children that are like dead to the world and they're just, you know, the arms and legs and all this what we call dead weight is really awkward. And it's very difficult to carry a person like that, especially a grown man. But if they're all wrapped up tight in a burial cloth, it's easier to transport. So if you're going to steal a body, you don't unwrap the body. Especially if it's all bloody and a mess inside. Keep it all contained, everything else. But what has happened? They have unwrapped the body and left the linen. It's carefully folded and, and careful in place. You know what's absent here? Blood. Where's all the blood? The linen should be soaked in blood. It should be a real mess, and that's one of the reasons the ladies were going there to clean things up. But it had already been cleaned up. Thieves don't do that. They had shown such disrespect for Jesus Christ and his death, in his uh, whipping, and in every other way. They are not going to be gentle with him. And so Peter and John look at the evidence and they're stumped because the evidence doesn't match the narrative that the body was stolen. But the body is obviously gone, but they have no idea who has taken it, what they've done, and there's no clue as to what to do about it. So the men were called in to fix it. They don't see any way to fix it. They don't know what's going on, so what do they do? They go home. There's nothing I can do. There's nobody, there's nothing away, nothing we can do here. Let's just go on home. And they walked away. As yet, they did not understand what the scripture says. Mary does not go home. We're up to verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb after the men had left, and she's weeping. And so, as she wept, She found the courage to stoop and look inside. And when she looked inside, she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Mary had come to believe that the body was not stolen, but it was gone. And she was beginning to think, I'll never be able to say goodbye. There's no way to get his body back. We don't know what to do. Peter and John are off home because there's nothing to fix, nothing to be done. That's what men do. Mary stays, her heart is breaking, and she's weeping. And through the veil of tears, she enters the tomb and she sees something that Peter and John missed. She goes beyond the temporal and she steps into the eternal. And I would suggest it was her tears that helped her break that veil. You ever notice that when you're crying, your vision is distorted? I remember as a kid in a pool, I had poor eyesight, and I would be at a swimming pool, and I'd get water on my eyelashes, and i squint through it, and my vision got better. I could actually read the clock on the wall and do things like that. But when you go through sorrow, your perspective changes. You begin to begin to question the big questions in life. And I know many of you know what I'm talking about. It's in sorrow that we ask, what is it all about? What does it all mean? What is the purpose of it all if it all dies and fades? We get into the whole Ecclesiastes of the Bible. It says, all is wind and chasing after dust. Does anything matter anymore? What is the meaning of life? If good things die and evil triumphs, what's the point? And there she is grieving all of this through tears and it's because of that question and that pain brings. Does pain bring big questions? It always does. But those questions and that seeking for an answer will always move you beyond the temporal of what you see to the eternal that's on the other side. I believe those angels were there when Peter and John were poking around, but they didn't see him. It was Mary that saw beyond. I believe they're here today, with us now. Just as the risen Lord is. But it is the reality of seeking through pain those big questions that we find them. Jesus promised us that if we would seek, we would find. If we ask, we would receive. If we knock, the door would be open. But you have got to want it. It can't just be a speculation. You're in that place right now. You're in a sacred place. As the word of God is being shared with you and as you're reading it, there are angels about us. The curtain is being pulled back so you can see and encounter the kingdom of God. It is our hearts and our attitudes that keep us from seeing the other side and stumbling into the presence of Jesus Christ. Mary did not know or understand what she was witnessing, even though she had pierced the veil. Her sorrow and grief of losing that last goodbye of her Savior and Lord was too great. She had enough just to pierce through the doorway and beyond the edge of something eternal. And then we come to verse 14. When she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. She saw Jesus. Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. At this point in the story, Mary now believes With the help of these people that John and Peter missed, whoever they are, gardeners, caretakers, she believed maybe it's possible to get the body of Jesus back. Mary wanted to grieve the Lord's death above all things, and her Lord knew that. Jesus knew that all that Mary wanted was to see his corpse and to cry over it, and he's standing right there, not dead. It says, I know that's what you want, but that's not what you're going to get. You're not going to get a corpse. Mary, I'm here. Our expectations blind us, don't they? If you're looking for a corpse, you aren't going to find the living Jesus. Because he ain't there. He is alive and he is well. If you are desperate enough to turn from what you have known, which isn't giving you much satisfaction, and desperate enough to break into a revelation of the resurrection of our Savior, you may hear today what Mary heard. You may hear with your ears your name being called. Jesus said to her in verse 16, Mary! She turned and said to him, and he. She said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he has said these things to her. Now she comes to believe, she hears that Jesus has called her name and she believes that she has seen the Lord. You need an encounter with the risen Lord and Jesus Christ. For he is risen. It isn't just he was or is or will be. He is still with us in his resurrected form. He called Mary, he's calling you. He called Peter and James and John. Before his death, he is still calling and calling all who would hear. And he still can be seen. He can still be experienced. Jesus was and he is right now still meeting us at the point of our crisis, whatever it might be. He is still calling our name in that tragic moment. And if we can hear that pull in our hearts, That tug, the recognition that it's God, we might just believe that Jesus is not just an idea or a myth, but a reality in this room. If we could believe in our hearts He is calling, and He's calling your name, you can answer with, Lord, Rabboni, and begin to catch a glimpse of His glory. There are many different kinds of ways of believing. But nothing will set you free of this world until you meet Jesus as the resurrected Lord who is calling your name. Verse 19, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of the disciples and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, and if you forgive the sins of any Their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. The disciples in that evening, they hear the report of Mary, and said, how could this be that Jesus is raised from the dead? Now understand the difficult journey of belief. These disciples saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the grave. They were part of the group that probably unwrapped Lazarus from the brave clothes. They know this can happen. They saw it. It was that very act that got Jesus into a whole lot of trouble because people were believing in him because of the resurrection of Lazarus. Well, the only solution was to kill Jesus himself. They knew that Jesus had said, Listen, I'm going to have to die, but I'll be back in three days. I'm going to be resurrected. Jesus had told them that. And look at Lazarus. He was, I am. All right? You got it? They still didn't believe it. He says, the scriptures tell you that this is going to happen. This is the whole reason I came. And they still didn't believe it. You can be that way. You could be hearing this story your whole life. You could be religious. You've heard the scriptures. You hear people tell you all about this. hear all about Jesus being resurrected every resurrection Sunday. And still, in your heart, you don't believe. But until you encounter him, you really don't believe. You have to hear him call your name. You need to step beyond the temporal, beyond the debates and the reasons and the evidence, into the eternal. And the only way you're going to get there is to choose to believe. Mary Magdalene did that first with tears. She came back to the disciples with a disturbing report and says, he is not missing, he is not stolen, he's alive just like he said he would. And they, wow, could that really be? I don't know. Mary's delusional, she's grieving too much. And then Jesus shows up and they believe. Jesus is still showing up. All over the place. He's been showing up for thousands of years. And that's why there are believers all over the face of the earth and more every day. Because Jesus shows up for anyone who would open their eyes and receive and make the choice to believe. You have everything to gain and nothing to lose by doing so. I tell you, Jesus is risen. And I know it. Not just in the past, but right now. You know how I know Jesus is risen, for I have heard him call my name. I've heard my name on his lips. Have you? I know Jesus is risen because I talk with him every day. We were talking at 3.30 this morning. I see Jesus in my life constantly along the With all the first disciples, I rejoice with him because I see with him in his presence every day. I've been gone for uh, a vacation in the United States. I come back and I hear reports of what Jesus did while I was gone. I didn't know he could do anything while I was gone. (laughs) He's just rolling on, performing miracles, doing marvelous things, healing hearts. I know he's alive. I've seen him. My dear friends here have seen him and heard him. I see him, that Jesus is risen right now in this room, in this place, with us right now. If you could just peek a little beyond the temporal into the eternal. We're all being called by name to leave the chains of fear and to walk in faith. To all who make this choice, if you make it, the choice is to believe that he is risen. If you do that, he'll forgive. Your sins set you free to do the will of God, give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, just as he did those apostles. He breathed on them, he breathed on me, and he gave me that gift when I chose to believe. You will be what the scriptures called and Jesus described as born again, not of fearful flesh, but of a bold, faithful Holy Spirit and by the word of God. All you need to do is make the choice. To believe he is risen when you receive forgiveness of your sins and are born again with the Holy Spirit in your spirit you'll be able to declare without any hesitation at all he is risen indeed for you will know it in your heart and in your life if that's what you want we can help you get there all you have to do is make that choice You want to stand with me? I want to close with a quick prayer. Lord, this Easter we are thrilled to gather as believers and as seekers. Many of us believe in different ways and different things. We're at different places in our journey. And as we have read from your word, Lord, we see that each step brings us a little closer to piercing the veil and stepping up beyond this temporal plane. And Lord, we desperately need to get beyond what we see around us into what's eternal, to what is real, what can never be destroyed, what will always last, what always will be a firm foundation in our life, a rock we can build on. For Lord, the eternal is more real than this temporal world that we waste our time on. Lord, I pray that if anyone here today is having trouble with their stage of belief that you will just help them break through to make the next step, that they'll seek earnestly, that they will not give up until they find the answer. And maybe even in the passion of tears, finally break through and discover that you are there, that you are real. That's why we're talking to you right now, because we believe. Lord, you are risen. You are risen indeed. We pray this all in your holy name. Amen. This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, just go to our website, www.millervillechurch.org, and you can make your online donation anytime. If you have questions, suggestions, and feedback you would like to share with us, please use our email service at infomillavillechurch.org. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. We are a non-denominational evangelical congregation, so all are welcome. Coffee and snacks that serve children's church and child care are available.